Today we're going to be talking about Alejandro Dumas, whether you like it or not, folks. Strap in. This is a Dumas podcast for one episode only. And also kind of a Looney Tunes podcast. Is... Actually, no, the Dumas bit is only one part. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting way off track. <laughs> what are we doing? All right, so, so for uh, today's theme, we're doing how to make a cartoon. Mm. Uh, these are cartoons that have a premise of kind of like a backdoor look at how Looney Tunes cartoons are made in Looney Tune cartoons. Mm-hmm. It's very meta. This is a very meta episode. Yeah, so yes. we're gonna, so the, the shorts we're going to be covering today are uh, the Scarlet Pumpernickel. As well as a Star is Bored and Rabbit Rampage. Right, and, and just, just to prepare you all. The uh, the plethora of quality that we ran into last night, last week when we were doing the uh, the hunting trilogy, we're not exactly going to run into that sort of plethora this week. Um, just just as a foreshadowing thing, I mean these are all good episodes, but we won't have as many good things to say about them. And we'll we'll figure out you'll figure out why as as we get there. Um, but you know we wanted to talk about you know just cartoons that make fun of themselves, cartoons that make fun of cartooning and make fun of Hollywood in general. And this was obviously a well that Freeling and Jones and those guys went back to a bunch of times because a lot of cartoons in this era have to do with that sort of lampooning sort of thing. Even Back in Action has that sort of thing as a backdrop in the first third of it. So, the you know, we would pick three that would be fun to talk about. And uh, in doing that, we doomed ourselves and, you know, they're fun to talk about, but the quality may uh, vary. You just had to say last week that this week's episodes were not going to be as good. And you were correct, sir. <laughs> you were 100% correct. Well, no matter what we covered this week, I don't think they'd have been as good. I mean, not to knock any era of Looney Tunes that weren't the Hunting Trilogy, but when that's your bar, you're going to have to aim lower no matter what you're covering. But, um, I mean, one of these is almost as good. But... um. You know, but yeah, it's 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 Hollywood stuff. It's 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 your meta, fun stuff. The uh, first short that I'll be covering is 1950s, The Scarlet Pumpernickel, which is based on the book, The Scarlet Pumpernickel. You see, this is what happens when you don't culture yourself in the fine readings. Um, I can never say what's the actual title of the book. Just burns into my head, like oh, it's the scarlet, um, the scarlet. It's the scarlet pimpernel. Oh. I myself have been taught on various, various books of Alejandro Dumas, one of the great African American French writers of his time, and I'll have you know that anyone who hasn't read any. Any Dumas, be it uh, the Three Musketeers or the Count of Monte Cristo, is a Philistine of the highest order, and you should know that. I'm just kidding. It's only books. Uh, uh, John Kiki, please get that uh, steppy fuck out of here. <laughs> he comes in every now and then. This short was released on March 4th, 1950, 
And what is funny about this is that um, the book, uh, The Scarlet Pimpernickel, was released in 1905. Mm. So this is only 45 years after the book's release. As for what events happened that day, um, we don't like to get too political here, but uh, former governor of Texas, Rick Perry, was born that day. Yeah, cool. So the short begins with we... We're at the Warner Brothers studio, and we're hearing Daffy just saying that that JL is killing him, which is a a riff on uh, Jack, middle initial L, Warner of the, the titular Warner Brothers. And um, and I find so funny about this little this little dig at their higher up is um it's been like publicly disclosed that uh, Jack Warner didn't give a shit about the animation department. Yeah. Uh, and not that he didn't care at all, it's just the fact that as long as they made money, he didn't care. He was more focused on you know, the big films and the stars and whatnot. Yeah. So, so Warner Brothers, so the animation department could afford to just make fun of their their higher up by just having Daffy Duck going like, like you're killing me, you're putting me in all these comedies. I'm a much of a bigger actor than that. So, so, Jay, so Jack Warren just goes, okay, well, so Snappy just offers uh, Jack Warner this script called The Scarlet Pumpernickel, which Daffy decides to mess with our co-hosts <laughs> by saying that it was written by Daffy Dumas Duck. I think that's a... Um... Uh, it's it's a double it's a double meaning because it's it's Dumas as well as the author, but it's also if it's read the right way, it's also Daffy's middle name can be dumbass. And if you've seen Shawshank Redemption, yeah. you're good with that joke. Was oh who wrote this dumbass Alejandro dumbass? Oh yeah, and also uh, this was uh, directed by Chuck Jones, written by Michael Maltese, yeah. as per usual. And the thing that's and thing that's interesting about this short is this is Daffy's short. He's our hero. He's our narrator. But it's really an ensemble piece. It, it has ha, it has Daffy Duck, but also has you know, Porky and Henry Hawk and the Mama Bear from the Three Bears short. I love her. Which makes sense. It's, it's a Chuck Jones. <laughs> it makes sense. It's a Chuck Jones picture, and more fuds in it, and um. And one other character that at it didn't occur to me to now how rare it is, but uh, we'll get there. So, so Daffy is reading the script to uh, to Jack Warner. The cartoon fades to a character named the Scarlet Pumpernickel. He's a he's a he's a ruffian, kind of like like Robin Hood in that way. And we just had this this quick little gag of the Scarlet Pumpernickel running away from a bunch of uh, of guards. He hides underneath the cliff. All the guards fall off the cliff. Ha ha. It is to laugh. So, then transition to the uh, Lord High Chamberlain, who's played by Porky Pig, who simply despises the Scarlet Pumpernickel, while his daughter, Lady Melissa, is in love with him. And he's just got Mrs. Bear in the corner playing the harp. Yeah, just, and it's just a, a Chuck Jones bear. Yeah. Just, 
It just goes back to the limited company of players trope that a lot of these do, where you just say, "Oh, we just get another established character to play this and this." You know that 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 works for me. The uh, the, the the Chamberlain is thinking of a way to destroy his crown upon nickel for good. So he decides, while getting his hair done in this machine, he decides to send a letter to the uh, Grand Duke that he should marry uh, Melissa in order to get the Scarlet Pumpernickel out so they can destroy him for good. And he tells this to Henry Hawk. Just because Henry Hawk's there. And then we transition to Sylvester being like, you know, oh, I'm happy because I get to marry the sweet Melissa, but I'm also angry because I get to, because I hate the Scarlet Pumpernickel. And as I was watching this, I was going, this is a Chuck Jones cartoon. Sylvester in it. Yeah. Which is weird. And we'll get something similar in in the next cartoon, but yeah, it's such a rare thing. Just, ah, Chuck Jones playing with Sylvester. You you never, ever see that except for like, I can't even think of one. No, I can't. It's a very rare kind of thing. Well, the thing is that in this era, Sylvester could work without Tweety. I mean, look at, um, uh, back alley uproar, which was Sylvester and Elmer. Yeah. The one thing I noticed around this point, by the way, is just just from the Sylvester dialogue and also some of the Porky dialogue, is this actually works as a dramatic, thematically similar thing to like a swashbuckler to a, a Dumas thing. There are gags in this cartoon, but it's very much bridged around a very dramatic, very can be taken seriously kind of story. And you know, there's integrity to this story as well as it also being a comedy. It's 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 like a Muppets kind of ideal of of how they would do like serious stories, but just with the Muppets. And I, I have to respect that, especially if they're going at a Dumas story or at a Scarlet Pimpernel style story. Yeah. So uh, as soon as this is uh, announced, we then uh, we then cut to uh, the, the the Scarlet Pumpernickel on his way to a hotel called the, um, I didn't write it down, uh, the, uh, yeah, it's a gag, it's a gag in, and, um, and, you know, he, he, he comes in disguised as a, uh, as a, I don't know, like a, like a, like a yeah. driver or something, and then Elmer Fudd comes out, you know, Elmer Fudd, he's the owner of the inn, and, um, it's not Mel Blanc. It is I mean, Mel Blanc. It's, uh, it is Mel Blanc. It is. That's yeah. what's weird. Is um, it's just just you know Warner Brothers going. Okay, Elmer's in this. He only has one line. We don't want to pay Arthur this week. Uh, it's just Mel uh, do an impersonation of Elmer Fudd, and not Mel's usually not game for that. But but it's a decent Elmer. It, it, it's a. I I heard more Mel than Elmer. It sounded like a Mel Blanc voice. It sounded kind of off. He was trying. I get that. But it just, it, it didn't sound great to me. So then we have um, the, the Scarlet Pumpernickel, you know, you know, ready to uh, go out on his horse and save oh, I, Melissa. I think, you, I think you skipped over a, a gag or two. Oh, I did? I'm sorry. Yeah, because there, there's a nice gag that I liked where, where he's, um, where Daffy's like outside the end and taking a bit of snuff. Which is which is like a, a tobacco kind of thing that was, was inhaled, 
And he just, he's trying to act cool, but like he literally has the most extreme reaction to it, just hopping off and sneezing. And then we have the whole sequence in the, um, in, in Porky's sort of chambers where Daffy is trying to act up, pass himself off as a commoner or as, as, as a, as, as a foppish person. Yeah. And it's the inversion of the, the Robin Hood Daffy gag. Where, where Daffy suggests, like, oh, you know, the Scarlet Pimpernickel could be anybody. It could be me. And da- and Sylvester and Porky, like, laugh off that that suggestion. Like, no, I couldn't be you. Which is the exact... It's, it's like what happens in Robin Hood Daffy, which is like, oh, you couldn't be Robin Hood. But Daffy uses it intentionally this time. He's like, no, they won't believe it's me. Just watch. Which is great, because we get to be on Daffy's side, really. Right, right, right. So after all that... Uh, Daffy gets prepared to go out and save Melissa. He jumps out the window. We then cut to him landing on the ground completely flat because he's Daffy and he's supposed to be pathetic. And Daffy then starts a three-joke runner in the mm-hmm. short about... I never have a Sarah Flicks. Yes. It, it's just this little runner of... Errol Flynn at the time was this you know, big... Uh, heroic star, uh, kind of like the, um, well, I, I guess uh, the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man of his day. I, I wouldn't compare him to Robert Downey Jr. I would say he's more of like, let's see, what is a good comparison to him nowadays? Because Errol Flynn purely did swashbucklers, and he was he was one of those guys that he would do just a lot of the action, the fighting, the swords kind of movies, and he was just, he lived adventure on screen and off. And that's why he worked as Robin Hood in a lot of those. And that's the thing. Like, who, who would I compare him to? Like, I, w- I would say contemporarily maybe Steve McQueen or, I don't know, um, Brad Pitt in the 90s. I, I don't know, because Robin Hood Jr., that's not all he did for a while. And so after uh, Daffy goes on his horse and goes away, we then transition to a church, you know, in a... In a Actually, the, the backgrounds for the church are actually really nicely done. Like, uh, it's like I have this tempestuous port of Porky forcing Melissa down yeah. the aisle, and Melissa's just crying, and it's just it's a really nice background of like these those people standing mm-hmm. there. So then, then the uh, the Scarlet Pumpernickel bursts through uh, the the doors, graduate yes. style. No, oh, I. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is. Scarlet yeah, I can't do a Dustin Hoffman. I wish I could. But, uh... Yeah. And so, so he gets to the church and he takes out a, a box of high jumpers, <laughs> which is just a, it's, it's just a pin. This is the third short, but there's a pin mm. joke, by the way, oh, in yeah. our coverage. This is the third. <laughs> so, yeah, he just, so he, he points himself up he jumps up, crashes into the church, lands, lands hard in the middle of the uh, the aisle, and then in the second joke, just Daffy going, "I'll have to check with Errol." <laughs> yeah, I wonder if he did that. So then the Melissa character is Car Pumpernickel and just he'll run, just screaming, "Help! Help! Save me! Save me! Save me! Help! Help! Save me! Save me!" But it turns out she's actually saving herself. Yes, that's great. She's running out with Daffy. Running out with Daffy, just Daffy going, uh, so what's to save? <laughs> he, he turns to, into a, 
a Jewish duck for a second there. Hey, so, what's to say? What are you doing? So we transitioned back to uh, the the you know, to a jail studio. And he's just going, hey, hey, and then what happens? And then Daffy. He'd be reading 1,655 pages. Like, oh, what we've seen so far, it's just 1,000 pages. I mean, Dumas's stuff is pretty long, too, so it makes sense. Yeah, so just goes, oh, uh, yeah, uh, page 1,656. Uh, so we transition back to the end. <laughs> and Alyssa's just, you know, charmed by the Scarlet Pumpernickel. So, so he makes sure that she's safe. He then jumps out the window, falls. But then as he's falling, he just... Pumps out a, a little a, a parachute. I love <laughs> to, that. To just I love that to one. Save him so he just goes. You're the little wrinkle Errol never thought of. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. So, <laughs> so then mm -hmm. um, we have you know a bunch of horsemen just you know they're going through the night trying to find these uh, pumpernickel, and then we ha we see Sylvester you know just refreshing himself, so he goes to the inn. It's just you know, yelling for the innkeeper, but of course uh, Arthur Coop Bryant wasn't in this, and they sure as hell didn't want to pay Mel for another line of Elmer. So no, it wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> yeah, so so we have this thing like, okay, Melissa was out of her room, for so, you know, because you know, we we need drama. So she, so he so Sylvester finds Melissa, goes up the door, and then Sylvester. I love this tension. Yeah, yeah. There's tension because Sylvester's just laughing maniacally, and it's good maniacal. Like it, it's again, like there's yeah, there's actual tension. Like oh, there's stakes, yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, I haven't read this book. Does the does the Grand Duke like put his advances on her or something? I, I, I haven't read the thing, so I don't know what happens. But anyways, so then outside of the inn, there's lightning. Scarlet Pumpernickel is. Standing on a tree branch, he's ready to do a heroic swing-in a la Luke and Leia in A New Hope. It's almost like the movie's based on uh, old Hollywood tropes. Anyways, so yeah, yeah, kinda he, is. <laughs> he swings in, <laughs> but he goes straight into the wall, falls and just completely destroyed, falls down to the window, and the Grand Duke just goes like, the Scarlet Pump. <laughs> Sylvester's great in this. Just like con oh, consistently yeah. not getting the name right and just like just giving his all in all their reads. <laughs> yeah, so again, those so of course this is a swashbuckler. So this girl Pumpernickel and Daffy Duck, you know, they 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 cross blades and and, and Scarlet just goes, oh, I just had a chance. I'm the hero of this picture and you know what happens to the villain. And in a great callback just Sylvester going so what's to know <laughs> yeah it's just too clever man then they have a sword fight we cut to uh, Melissa against the wall of course she's still screaming and screaming and then we we uh. transition back into the executive office and for me this was my favorite part of the short just Daffy completely exhausted he's covered in script pages in, you know, and, and then his, uh, his, his boss is like, okay, what else happens? And the diary's like, uh, then what happened? Uh, uh, a storm broke in all its fury. <laughs> and, then just, and then just rain. And then Daffy goes, and then the dam broke. 
And then there's a, a, a dam breaking, and then Jail's like, yeah, that would happen. Then uh, the, the cavalry rode in, but they were just, a little too wet. Jail's like, and then? Volcano erupted. <laughs> the price of food went up. I, I, I just, the price of food stopped skyrocketing. <laughs> He's just out of, he, he doesn't know where his ending is. He's just making shit up just to keep him there. And then Jail's like, is that all? And Daffy's just completely exhausted. It just, is that all? And then the cartoon ends. It fades no. to black. That's all, folks. What? That's what the TV edit does. Oh, okay. <laughs> However, we don't talk about the TV edits. We just no. Because the short actually ends with Daffy just going, is that all? There was nothing for the Scarlet Pumpernickel to do but blow his brains out, which he did. He just shoots himself, of course, to me. Just he escalation to the nth degree. And, and Daffy just gives just a good line that even 70 years later still kind of holds up. Just, it's gangster, you have to kill yourself to sell a story around here. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, yeah and then we end there. And um, the thoughts I had about the short is... First of all, I find it funny how this is a short about Daffy adapting a book. So it, it, it's an adaption he's pitching. It's not an original story. So even in 1950s Hollywood, they're still basing stories off of other IP. There wasn't even originality in the 50s. What the oh. hell? What are we doing here? So, and another thing that uh, we briefly brought up, but um, it's, an, it's an ensemble cast. But not every Looney Tunes character is in this. Uh, for example, Bugs isn't. Hey, he must have skipped. He's not in the short. And a part of it's probably just they didn't want to. It's like, well, we can put Bugs in this. It wouldn't make any, it wouldn't make any sense. Would you put, but, but in my head, I'm thinking it really would have been like Daffy to just give Bugs the non-speaking Henry Hawk role. Like he's in it for like one second. He has no lines. To just well, that might up. take the audience out of it. They may not immediately get true, it. True, true. It would take the audience out of it, but like, I could see that being like a Daffy, like, haha, I'm gonna, gonna screw you over with my script, and then we'll see what happens in the other short. So, so and just uh, quick uh, thoughts about this. Um, this short wasn't as good as I remembered it. Uh, I was, I was really? Like, yeah, I, I, for, for some, like, again, like, I, I like the ending because that was the funniest bit to me. I, I, f I felt the rest of the short was not as good. And uh, it's, it's not bad. It's just, it's just, uh, I felt like, you know, it, it was fine. It, it, was, it was a fine short. Um, I don't know. It, it just didn't really, uh, really too much for me. But, um, however, I did. Uh, I, I will give it a, a three out of five because it is not bad. It just eh, didn't really suit me. I guess. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> all right. Because because I really like this one. <laughs> I think that just from how it's thematically and and just written like something like a Dumas sort of story. And that it works on that level, that really, I, that really impressed me. 
And um, I just, I, it felt like the gags worked in this one and it felt like the characters were just so well fit in these roles and it just, the way the arc worked and it was also just really funny just seeing Daffy's exasperation back at the studio. I mean, honestly, Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it works for me because it, it comes off like not only just something that has substance as an adaptation itself, but also something that's so substantial that it has to be a parody of the Hollywood system of, of, of remake and, and, and adapt and, and taking things like that. It, 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 it means a lot more to me because it just has this substance, to, because I'm more familiar with what it's trying to, um, to recreate. Um, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. I clearly liked it a lot more than you did. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, also, also, I do want to point out that this was a perfect time to do a short like yes. this in 1950. Because I think if you were to do it five years after, I think I think everyone would be too set in their ways. Because it's 1950. So it, it's, it's by this point that Warner Brothers had a firm understanding of how these characters act. Right. So, uh, I noticed something about last week with how if they did hunting season earlier, it wouldn't probably won't be, wouldn't be as good. But to, to the fact that the characters are already so well defined. So you can take a story like this and, and be able to adapt it to a point where even people who were direct fans of the book can be like, okay, I see what they're doing. However, HBO Max does have both movie has a movie adaptation of it as well as the sequel. I know that. Got those on there. Good for them. HBO Max has both of those and yet not this cartoon as we record this. Yes, yes, as we're recording. Of course, if they do add it, that would be nice. Yes, it would be very nice. Be really nice that they did. Yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely surprised you didn't like that as much as I did, but okay. <laughs> Um, moving on to the second of, of the three that we're covering today. Um, this is one that I was assigned that I don't have a lot of, uh, nostalgia for, cause this was on, um, this was a star is board, which is, um, which is a Bugs and Daffy one that has a similar Hollywood setting. I don't have as much nostalgia for this one because it was on golden collection volume five, which I didn't watch as many times as the first four. I may have watched it once or twice, and I've seen scenes of it in other compilations or in other forms. I, I definitely recognize bits of this. As a cartoon as a whole, I wasn't very familiar with it, so this was a sort of first-in-a-while kind of watch for me. But yeah, no, I'll get into this one. Um, it, it was released on September 15, 1956. I have a really niche on this day thing, like incredibly niche, more than my rock and roll niche ones that I usually do. Again, Mark, this is... I will be surprised if this has any significance to you whatsoever. Not to not to belittle you in any way. So let, let's see if any of this makes sense to you. So um, uh, December 15, 1956, the birth date of uh, Maggie Riley, who was a Scottish vocalist and singer, best known for uh, being a featured vocalist on a lot of Mike Oldfield songs, including the 1983 hit Moonlight Shadow and the, uh, the mid-90s um, follow-up to that called Man in the Rain. <laughs> Did that make any sense to you? Have you ever heard Moonlight Shadow by uh, Michael Field? Sort of beatneck jazz club music do you listen to? I listen to a lot of progressive know what rock. That is. <laughs> oh, oh, is that rock? It, it's a progressive rock song. It's um 
what, the whole thing with Mike Oldfield, and I'll explain a little bit for anybody who cares, read zero. Um, Mike Oldfield is a progressive rock musician from the from England. He his most famous composition is Tubular Bells, which is the, the theme to The Exorcist. Uh, he does a lot of very weird, very spacey, long tracks and doesn't like using his own vocals on the uh, the track because of, honestly, he's a little shy. And so he'll have a lot of featured musicians like Maggie Riley, and he, she did a lot of uh, different vocals for a lot of his tracks. Also, Mike Oldfield wrote the song Family Man, which was covered by Hall & Oates. Uh, I'm, I'm reaching for things that people might know. Um, He's a very obscure. I think artist. I with the Hall and Oates reference. Yeah, well, I also thought Moonlight Shadow would work, but apparently people haven't heard of that one. Um, if you have any nostalgia for Mike Oldfield, other than my friend Ben, who I don't even know is listening to this, then um, then then let me know. Um, but yeah, I told you it was niche. So yeah, this is a rare Frizz Freeling directed Bugs vs. Daffy cartoon because a lot of them in this era were Chuck Jones ones. I think maybe it was Frizz's. Take on the rivalry, um, and and there are some very frizz mentalities in this one. So we we start with Bugs in his dressing room, and he's doing his whole humble yet still vain shtick. Um, uh, the reporter played by June Foray is interviewing is interviewing him, and this is standard stuff for the Hollywoodized Bugs Bugs shorts. The idea that he's a big star when he's not doing cartoons, and he has as much fame with him than a lot of the movie stars of that era. That's, you know, we've seen it before. And then, of course, there's a subversion of this where Daffy's outside his dressing room pushing a broom because that's all the jobs he can afford in between all these cartoons. Of course, it makes sense. Um, very quickly after this, after, you know, Daffy does his jealous shtick outside of this, uh, we do get, we see stated to us very clearly the intent of this cartoon which is um, Daffy bursts into an executive's room and the executive is saying, I know we need a double on a Bugs Bunny picture, but where can I find someone stupid enough to take the job? That's the short, folks. <laughs> that is exactly what we're about to walk into. So that executive is voiced by Mel Blanc just talking. Yeah, it's Mel Blanc doing his normal voice. Which, that was a thing that always interests me when I first got into like voice actors, yeah. is like finding projects where it's just them speaking. Yeah, it's like... It's like Seth, Seth MacFarlane when he does his Brian voice. It's basically just Seth's real voice. That's not as fun. No, I was watching. Okay, now I have to bring this up. I was watching a movie yesterday. Okay. Um, I, I can't believe I'm actually talking about this on this podcast. I was watching. <laughs> I, I, I hate this so much. Um, I was watching a movie, um, the, 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 the cinematic, um, the, 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 uh, the, how do I best describe this? Get on with it. Uh, the the um, the famous Palme d'Or at the Cannes winning um, uh, Tom and Jerry in the Fast and the Furry. Uh, a couple of my friends wanted to put it on. I didn't. I wasn't. But Tom Kenny plays a character in this that's this big, strong, tough, like demonic sort of character. And Tom Kenny uses his very his normal voice for it, just as a subversion. He's not trying to do a character or anything. He's like, oh yeah, this is Tom Kenny's normal voice. So that was so it's fun when you can see people's normal voice just sort of there, which is cool. So yeah, it, that sounds good in this. But um, you know, Daffy bursts into the room right when he asks, like, where am I gonna find someone this stupid? Daffy's like, Oh, okay, Daffy Duck, something or other. And then the male character's like, I'll call you right back. I think I've got a pigeon. 
That line says everything about what people think of Daffy. But yeah, sure enough, you know, da, 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 we, we get Daffy thrust into this stunt double role. We go, we, we, we're joined on set where the director, for some reason, has a thick German Eric von Stroheim accent because this was 1955 and you could do Sunset Boulevard references. Um, and then we just have a scene from Yosemite Sam cartoon, just on a soundstage with Bugs and Sam. And I love the idea that these cartoons animated in backgrounds are done on stage like any other filmed project. It's, it's like, you know, it looks like it's on, you know, cartoon animated backdrops in the cartoons. But, you know, they're trying to say, well, we actually do it on the soundstage of Warner Brothers like any other project. That's a cool little and, – and they would go back to this well. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool uh, aesthetic. And also, I just love how when Daffy walks out of the office and he has orange just – it's like a Bugs Bunny. It's like it's Bugs Bunny pajamas. Yeah. Like, like it's a onesie. This is exactly stuff. It's a onesie. This is stuff you would see at, at like Target yeah. or whatnot. The fact that, that that they have so little faith in Daffy being a stunt double, they just give him the crappiest Bugs Bunny costume. Just like in last week's, uh, we see Mel doing an impression of Mel doing Daffy doing a Bugs impression, which is great. It's an insane Mel Blanc ability, and I love that he does it in multiple of these. And I love that he's, you know, he's like, okay, I got my lines down. I got my lines down. And he gets in the scene with Yosemite Sam, and he has to briefly glance back at his script, which is great. <laughs> it's very, very daffy. You know the joke of the, of the cartoon because, you know, of course, you know, it's going to be, you know, Bugs in a scene. Then you got to swap out the stunt double. So Daffy comes in, and all the painful things that would happen to Bugs now have to happen to Daffy. It's a one-joke cartoon, and that's basically the joke you're getting to. So Daffy gets shot by Yosemite Sam, and it's, it's a very funny his beak falling off kind of thing, and he just yells out makeup, which is the running gag of this piece. Mm-hmm. And they go... And also, and also, I love how... I think so was on purpose, how Yosemite Sam is kind of a bad actor. Yeah. Like, his read is very, like, okay, Barnett, put up... <laughs> He's... It's not. It, it's not John Wayne. Like, <laughs> it's a very bad read. Yes. <laughs> very. That's acting too. You know, to, to try not do act like you're doing a bad read of a character. Right. That, that, that has to be. Uh... Yeah. No. That's that. That is acting, I and mean, that's it's very much Mel Blanc because he has to do that that very ferocious voice, but also at low energy. So, that's great. <laughs> All right, um, so now we Daffy switches out with Elmer for a scene. So already we have an Elmer character, but he hasn't said anything. So, hmm, has he only been hired for one line, and therefore is Mel <laughs> going to voice him in this friggin' one? Um, but no, we don't, we don't know yet. Um, so Daffy takes out Elmer, takes his place, and begins to saw a branch Bugs is sitting on. We all know what gag is coming, though. Yeah, and, and also, again, like, we have a short that has, I mean, they're not in the same scene, but... It's a short that has you semi Sam and Elmer Fudd in it. Yeah, that's that's rare. It's it's very rare to have a lot of his rogues gallery in the same one. Yeah. Uh, next, there's the the fishing scene. I love that Bugs is insistent on taking this fishing scene. Know exactly what Bugs is, what what's about to happen, but Daffy's like, no, I want this. And then within seconds of of sitting down on the dock, he's chomped up by a random fish. That's like a Gonzo joke that sort of works in spite of that. We bring Elmer back and. Yes, this time they actually got Arthur Q. Bryan to voice him. Thank God. Which is nice. Yes. It's nice to give your voice actors payment to do the job they're hired to do. Yes. Not cheap out, aren't it? Please, instead of getting Mel to do it unconvincingly. 
Um, and we have another what seems like recycled gag here where Daffy grabs the gun and does the whole gun pops out of different holes right at the yes. butt gag, which is a it's a Tom and Jerry gag. It's an oldest trick in the book kind of cartoon gag. And Daffy tries to make sense of it, which is a nice inversion. But he, he does the whole tie a ribbon on it, and then if it's the same ribbon, if it's a different ribbon, it's not the same gun thing. But, of course, we've seen this gag before. We know what happens. Not a lot of these so far in this cartoon have been new to me. It just seems like they're doing a greatest hits reel, which, fine. Um, okay. Uh, and, again, the makeup thing has gotten less funny as every time that they do it. But... Um, I know I'm being critical. I'm sorry I'm being critical. But um, yeah. um, there actually is a nice gag next, though. So Bugs gets up in a plane and realizes he can't fly it, which is great. <laughs> That's a good little subversion there. So he's literally about to crash it right into the ground. But before he hits the ground, the director calls cut, and Daffy goes in, and it's a double, so the plane stops in midair. Even real-life accidents require a stunt double here. That is a very fun joke. And this is the first time we've seen this joke covering the show, because there's a incredibly similar gag that happens in uh, Falling Hair. Yes, that's that's the ending gag of Falling Hair, where it's like they run out of gas. But this is a slight subversion, because instead of the, fall, the out of gas ending, it's just like, okay, stop, cut, and it literally just like, <laughs> like you put the brakes on in midair, and oh yeah, that'll that'll stop it. And then the just Daffy takes a helicopter up and just sort of switches places with bugs. It's a very silly gag. I like that one. Yeah. This this read coming up, I did remember, because Daffy storms into this office, into the executive's office, like, okay, I've had enough. I need you to give me another script. And the, the executive's like, okay, we just have a duck strip script come in today. And I love Daffy's tired, exasperated, but excited read of this script he's offered at the end. <laughs> the duck starring... Daffy Duck! Like, he's excited, <laughs> but he's clearly beaten down. Of course, when we go into the duck, it's a script where a bunch of hunters shoot him, and Daffy, you know, obviously gets beaten there. It's it's the second time in two weeks we've seen a bunch of hunters come out of nowhere and shoot Daffy. Um, and the third time since the start of this podcast. Um, and, of course, the end of this is your is the duck a monk in it. Daffy demands to know who wrote this, and we cut over to Bugs, who's sitting around, uh, sitting around going, I'd like to tell him, but uh, modesty forbids. So that's at least a fun ending, but it's not exactly a new ending. And also, um, for, for some reason, I, 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 did, I actually found it to be kind of mean. Oh. I don't know, but for, for some reason, just knowing that, that Bugs has seen Daffy get destroyed in bits that he himself was going to get destroyed in, and because, okay, besides from the, the one moment where Daffy tries to hurt Bugs in the uh, in, in the tree gag, there doesn't seem to be much animosity towards the two. No. Just to have it end with, and then Bugs Bunny wrote a script where Daffy gets shot at. It's like, oh, that's kind of a jerk move on Bugs' part. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, no, um, that's... You know, that's that's this cartoon. And uh, I, while it's not bad, I, I, I wasn't entirely wild with this one. Um, there was a lot of gags I'd seen before and done better. And there was a very easy, thin concept that was novel enough. It was still very one joke. And Daffy himself had a lot of really nice moments in this and a lot of good lines and just good character bits. 
But this is not one of the better Bugs versus Daffy ones, despite still being good and having some good gangs. Um, in terms of Amble rating, I give it three and a half out of five. Same. Okay, good. I'm, I'm also giving it three out of five. I do feel seem to be going on a theme here. I, I, I think I like this one better than you did. Yes. I don't know. I, I, I just really I, – I, I really like the idea of, you know – these are Looney Tunes shorts, but we're like filming them like a movie. I, I yeah. really dug that concept. Uh, no, it, it, it reminds me of uh, you know you know like you know, like put cartoons in in real life situations. Yes. And stuff like that. Like oh you know, yeah, this this is a movie. What are you talking about? There's there's not 130 animators doing this. No, with the real people. Anyways, yeah yeah. I'm also giving it a 3.5 out of five. Yeah, it's it's not bad, folks, but it's it's just not the best. No way of going about this. It seems like, because again, the problem with this one is that it echoes a lot of jokes that have already done better in other cartoons, which is a sentiment that could also apply to the next one we're covering, right? Yes, um, so uh, our, our final short in this uh, making of a cartoon trilogy is a sequel to a classic cartoon that everybody loves and and, and like how we said last week with how Duck Rabbit Duck seems like 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 Duck Rabbit Duck isn't a hundred percent a forgotten part of the hunting trilogy. People still remember it, but not as fun. People completely people have completely forgotten about this one. It's um it, it, it's Rabbit Rampage. Yeah, it came out uh, June eleventh, nineteen fifty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't do this one either. Covering, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! Is it is it more niche uh, than Maggie Riley? No. So I I learned how to let Maggie fifty five. What happened? And just or I'll Karen voice nothing. No, the, no, no, there's no, conch. No. Never mind. Not Karen. Oh, on June 11, 1955, a major crash happened in which during the 24 hours of Le Mans motor race <laughs> at Circuit de la Sarthe in Le Mans, France, large pieces of debris, it blew into the crowd, it killed 80... 83 spectators died. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... How the hell are we supposed to, you know, anything happen? Anything happy happened that day? Here we are laughing about a bike crash. Yeah, this is the, the epitome of taste. It's okay. It's in It's okay. They're all dead now. Oh wait, they were then. Uh, oh no, nothing. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> it, it, would have been, it would have been a lot more funny if the Pepe Le Pew cartoon had come out that day. Oh, my. Sacre bleu! All right. Oh. Nope, nothing else happened. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. It says here, um, it killed 80 spectators. The race continued. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the French mentality. What is that? People have died? Never mind that. Let's keep racing them. No, we can at least uh, we, maybe they had like an a hundred death quota that they needed to reach. <laughs> Keep it going. We can squeeze out fifteen more deaths. 
That sound you heard was the sound of tasteful people all at once turning off this podcast. And we are very sorry. So, sorry, that's just complete shock. Okay, we were not Anyway, so Rabbit Rampage <laughs> is a cartoon. Right. Yes, it is. All right, so uh, it came out that date. It's directed by Chuck Jones, written yeah. by Michael Maltese, so the same people who brought you Duckamuck. And mm-hmm. um, the plot of this cartoon is it's Duckamuck, except it's Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Now, now before we get um, into it, we should probably explain our uh, personal attachment yeah, to we the bet. short. Yeah. All right, so then we were both kids. We saw this short before on uh, Cartoon Network or whatever, and we were just fascinated by it. It's like, well, what, what is this? This is some, like, it, it's, again, like Duck Muck, it's odd. It's an odd cartoon. You don't, you don't really quite forget it. Anyways, so it's the early 2000s, and you know, we, we love uh, the, uh, the Golden Collection sets. There's some shorts that, that like, you know, like, like, in, like, hangout sessions or recess or whatever, like, Man, when are they gonna put Rabbit Rampage on a golden collection? Literally, yeah. For, for some reason, for some reason, this was like our, this is our like come on. This was our fixation. And um, through connections we had at the time, uh, I don't know if I'm going to that or not. Um, okay, I'll go into it briefly. Um, a, a relative of mine uh, did business with Warner Brothers. Um. And um, I would basically, and, and he worked with the Warner Brothers DVD people because of reasons. And um, a lot of the same people he worked with also uh, knew of slash worked with um, the people who were in charge of uh, releasing the Golden Collections in that division. And so he would, yeah, I forget exactly what happened with Rabbit Rampage, but we... Okay, so, so what happened was, uh, we're hanging out one day, th- this relative comes home, he's like, hey, I just spoke with the Warner Brothers people, and they want you to, like, like give suggestions for, like, what shorts would you want on Golden Collections. We're like, okay, this is way too much power to give to, like, to, like, 10-year-olds at the time, so we're like... Okay, so we wrote down the list, and at the top of that list, we put Rabbit Rampage. Yeah. Give to him, whatever, years go by. So, um, so the Looney Tunes Golden Collection, uh, Volume 6, uh, the last one, and the one that uh, didn't have as many good shorts on it. Yeah. Anyways, so for, for some reason, and this makes no sense to me, because the collections are all about releasing shorts. But they also had like bonus shorts as a bonus features, which yeah. makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense to me. It's like, well, why could you just say like, oh, this is our last one. There's like 70 shorts in it, or whatever. Yeah. So as a bonus feature, a one of the discs, the bonus shorts, Rampage is on there. So we're like, so when we learned this, we're like, did did we do this? <laughs> did, did, did we like it might have been a coincidence it might be coincidence but for, for, for like a little bit we're like did we help get this short on a golden collection for me it was like oh well it was in the bonus features so like maybe they weren't thinking of putting it on there and like, i don't know so anyways it's it's circumstance and, and it's 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 the kind of thing i was like if you were in this if the in that part at the same time and it happened 
is it directly your fault? And the answer is you don't really know. And there's a similar anecdote I have to this that isn't exactly me, but it's uh, one of the one of the one of my many perseverations. Um, one of the other shows I watch, other than this and Blue's Line, is I watch a, a British panel show called Nevermind the Buzzcocks, which is basically about music. And one time they had a guy, um, they had a guy on the panel named Ryan Jarman, who was um, was a very spaced out lead singer for a band called The Cribs. And he was telling a story one time. He's like, "Listen, I don't want any anything to to get out about this, but um, I think Live Eight, which was the big fundraiser that at that time that Bob Geldof did, he's, he said, I, th I think Live Eight that was my doing." And he said, "Let me explain." So I was in the studio. Um, recording this album, which you should all buy, by the way. And uh, I happened upon, you know, in whatever the, the studio Rolodex was Bob Geldof's number. And so I went and texted. I said, three words, mate. Live Aid 2. And within five months, Live 8. So it has to be me. And uh, he was mostly joking, but it was the kind of thing where he, he had the pride of like, you know, no, it's, it's clearly my, my fault that this happened. And so while I don't know if it was us, that actually made Rabbit Rampage an option for the Golden Collections, or if they would have done it anyway. It's nice to know that there's the thought of, hey, maybe we might have had a fan in that. That's something. So, I was so good at describing Duck and Muck. Okay, so, <laughs> so we start with a script page. She has a script page that says, okay, it's a very conventional Bugs Bunny cartoon. Oh, it's this, it's this forest, and then Bugs Bunny comes out, Jumps on the carrot, says it went up dark. So then we pan over to um, a white piece of paper, and we have the paintbrush again. So the uh, the unknown painter, he paints the, the background. The camera then pans up to the sky, I in which the, the paint he just paints uh, the rabbit hole in midair. Oh, chops up in midair, and Bugs is tired, mixing his like, ah, what's up? And as soon as he says the line. He immediately falls falls out of his uh, hole onto the ground. <laughs> so he's just he's like, "What's up?" <laughs> and Bugs just immediately recognizes who it is. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, you." That's the difference. That's the difference. Is that the Bugs knows who who it is. Yeah. As opposed to Duck Monk, where we don't know, we don't know. In this situation, only we don't know. Exactly. So Bugs is just. He's 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 kind of pissed. Mm -hmm. like, he has every right to be. I don't. I, I'm not gonna do this. I, I'm not gonna work for you. Are you kidding me? So, it's like yelling. Eventually, um, the band just gets yellow paint and paints the backside of Bugs because you know he's a coward. Bugs, he gets he gets mad. He breaks it in half. And then in, in a gag that's quite good. Just yes. You know, Bugs just like no. I, I would not stand with this. I'm gonna to go to the people at Warner Brothers. I'm gonna tell Warner Brothers I refuse to work with you. And so he's talking, and then the pair just paints in a sign that says, "I won't work." Yes, <laughs> just, I love just, it. Just a, 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 a picketing sign. Bug sees it, freaks out. He's like, "Ah, no! Are you trying to? Are you trying to get me fired? I become a very important asset to the studio. I, I can't." I can't be without the, the studio. And then, of course, the painter paints another sign that just says, I refuse to live up to my contract. <laughs> I, I, I love this gag so much. I, I think the reason why this works, not only now, but in the 50s, 
is because, and this is just a theory I have, but this cartoon is coming in, off the heels of the, the end of the, the, the commencement, at least, of McCarthyism, of people not being able to work and, and, having, and, and having being able to work be a luxury. And it's, it's very funny just to, to the, the, the artist basically paints bugs into saying, I, I don't want to work. I give up this luxury. I, I don't deserve <laughs> the privilege, which is just a very 1950s. But it also works for now. It's funny now. We laugh now. So, but it, 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 with that context, it's honestly even stronger. Um, so after this is the, um, the, you know, I'm not supposed to wear a hat bit, right? Yes. Yes. Which is basically um, a better version of Bugs' Bonnets, um, where the animator just get, draws a progressive line of more and more ridiculous hats, like just loud, and, and, and they, they get more elaborate, even as Bugs takes each one off. There's a scuba diving helmet in there. There's a baby bonnet, a judge's wig. Even the music is fun there. Even like the, the music we hear when the judge's wig is plunked on him is great. This regal theme. And this bit goes on for a bit and the music and Bugs' disapproving looks make it work. I mean, honestly, you could have ended it about three hats earlier, but the, the, the music and Bugs are great. Uh, Bugs begins to walk off and I like the abstract nature of having the backdrop upside down and just the struggle of Bugs trying to fight gravity and to climb into his hole. Yeah, because he's about to climb into his hole, but then... Again, very similar to, uh, to Duck and Muck, the artist just paints yes. an anvil onto his tail, and Muck just goes you know, shooting down to the uh, to the ground. <laughs> Great. And, and, and then Bugs just goes, uh, he just starts like cursing at him, like we drop a scurry blankety blank blankety try. It's the Yosemite Sam cursing. It's rag and frag and yeah. wagon, which we're gonna get into next week, not to foreshadow too much. But um, oh, yes. <laughs> oh god, can't wait. But yeah, um, this is where he erases Bugs' head, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's funny. Because um, I mean, as, as impatient as Bugs is here, I still think Daffy was, Daffy was funnier in this situation. Yeah, because, okay, so the, the, the big thing about this short, and, uh, and not to jump too far ahead, but um, yeah. Bugs being mad is funny. It is funny to see a cool, conflicted character just... Loses top every now and then. But it's not as funny, especially in a short where where we have no choice but to compare and contrast to, to Duck and Muck, because this is a sequel to it. Yes. Staffy being angry mm -hmm. is funnier. Because it fits his character yes. more. Well, with Bugs, yes, he's calm, cool, and collected. And we like that. We like it when he outsmarts people. We don't like it as much where he gets outsmarted himself, except for a few rare occasions. There are, there are some shorts where it is funnier that he got outsmarted. But for the most part, and especially when we find out who this artist is, it just gives a very like, okay, I get the joke, but I don't, but it, it not as strong it's, it's, exactly it's not as strong and, and we'll get to why we want to get there but um yeah no it's also just the the, the age-old thing that i've said i probably said it in the past on this very podcast but bugs bunny is funny when he happens to other people but it's not as funny when bad things happen to bugs bunny it's the bill murray parable 
And here, a lot of this cartoon is just bad things happening to Bugs Bunny, and all he can do is sort of react. And there is no sort of him getting a leg up on this, because obviously we can't see it. It's man versus creator. And it's, it's not as effective, because it's funny when bad things happen to Daffy, because Daffy is, a, is wonderful when he loses. Bugs, not so. You want him to win. So here is the biggest indicator of that, even though a lot of these jokes hit. And again, we right after this, we have Pumpkinhead Bugs, which is very funny, but it's not as effective as Duck and Muck because this situation works better with Daffy in this role. So going back to the short. So the animator, he gets rid of the pumpkin head and he draws a tiny version of Bugs' head, which it's a funny gag because, because again, it's... Again, it's it's quite talented because again, it's male. I don't know. I I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like maybe in a recording studio because obviously it's it's sped up a bit. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if like bugs in, in that recording session that male voice bugs in his own higher pitch and they upped it up a bit in the editing. Yeah, probably. Oh, Anyways, you just sound like you're shouting more too. Yeah. So. Yeah, so he's just, you know, he yells about how he has his voice so high. And then, and then the animator draws Bugs' his normal head without ears. And then we have this, and then we have yes. this ears bit where it's, where it's like, okay, ears, kind of ears. He draws human ears. Human, human ears. And he, and he just, in a great presentation, just goes, not human ears, my friend, rabbit ears, long ones. Just. For the record, um, for the record, the human ears um, after this cartoon would go on to find fame with such hits as "Ho Hey" and uh, "Salt in the Sea" and um, and Gloria. <laughs> oh wait, that's the Lumineers. I'm sorry. That's the worst joke I've oh, ever done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> All right, so. I'm so sorry. So the animator draws <laughs> very long, comedically long rabbit ears. He and he just screams, and this is really funny. He screams just. Don't be so dang literal. <laughs> I, that's my favorite line in the whole piece. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, the ears get back to normal. And then as Bugs is just you know, walking away, talking to himself, all of a sudden, his tail gets erased. Just because <laughs> <laughs> now the animator is just messing with, like, this extreme messing with him. Because he's just going like, okay, tail's gone. Tail's gone. <laughs> I'll the tail. Why not? No, but, but this is... I love the gag right here where he just draws in a horse's tail and Bugs just has the... Mel Blank has the greatest read on this where he's like, that is a horse's tail, my friend. It belongs on a horse. <laughs> so he just redraws Bugs as a horse. <laughs> it's just... And, and with the carrot and everything, he just goes into Bugs Bunny carrot chomping stance, just goes... It specifically says Amazing. in my contract that I'd be drawn only as a rabbit. <laughs> like... So he draws him as a really land, uh, weirdly drawn rabbit. Yeah, and then he just uh, just like, what the heck? My feet are huge. Why my feet so? It's like it's like yes, that's the weird thing about this design is that your feet are huge. So eventually, Bonnie's like, listen, you have, we can't do this tomfoolery, or else we're both gonna get, you know, or else we're both gonna get canned. So the animator draws Bugs back to normal, and then Bugs just goes. Oh, so I'm me again, eh? What a novel idea. Uh, you sure you wouldn't want to make me into a grasshopper or something? And then the brush comes back in a little bit. And you just uh, you see the pencil coming back in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then Bugs, uh, like Daffy, 
also kind of knew the end of Duck and Luck just goes like, okay, listen, let's you know, let's calm down. Let's try to have an understanding. So yes. just okay, listen, you know, let's do something revolutionary. That's something great, which of course, you know, lay down the line, he, he, he would be in revolutionary shorts. And then just this. Yes. Yeah. And then the artist just drawn three exact Bugs Bunny clones. Just, just two Bugs Bunny imposters. They both say, what's up, Doc? And then Bugs is just like, get out of here, you imposter. Pushes him off screen. <laughs> just shoves him off screen. I love shoves that. Shoves him off screen. And something tells me that that was a flip. Like, if I were like a uh, hardcore Looney Tunes fan back in early 90s when when jeff bergman first got the role i would think that's the clip that would have gotten the most play if the internet were the way it is today just like all we do fans yeah, going probably. like oh you know what this new bugs wish reminds me of pushes this clip from Rabbit yeah. rampage so bugs just says you know what i'm not going to move until until you get uh the boss until you get the big boss which I guess in this circumstance would be Chuck Jones, I guess, since he's a director. So probably Jones. And then then he just stands there, he does look behind him, and a and a quite beautiful actually, uh train, uh, a track gets painted yes. behind him. Uh, then there's a little white dot. Instantly a train comes. <laughs> and Bugs just immediately moves the side of the frame as the train comes. And then Bugs is like, okay. You almost killed me. All right. Um, there's only one way to stop this, and there's no way that you can stop me. And he just jumps up. I love that. Just pulls down the end title card, and then... I love that ending. It's a great ending. It would have been better if it just ended there. But it would have been, you know, that's something great. It just ends with, and I have no idea if you have the technology to do this, but just, like, he pulls it down, and it's the actual, like, that's all, folks, ending card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why did they pull the the end card? like that. There are really two shorts that end with the end, and that's it. But either, anyway, yeah. So we came right back, and in a very similar uh, shot frame device to Duck Amok, we find out that the animator was Elmer Fudd. It just says, yeah. uh, "Well, anyway, I finally got even with that screwy wabbit." And we just then we end there, and uh, it doesn't work, it doesn't doesn't work as well because this was written for Elmer. <laughs> it wouldn't better with. I mean, this really would have been meta as hell, but like Daffy, yeah, it would have made the sequel connection much stronger. In fact, I think more people would know this is a sequel of Duck and Muck more if, if it was Daffy at the end of it. Would have been even funnier if it was Daffy, and then like it, it's. Something else. The Daffy still doesn't win entirely. Like, okay, I'm, let's see, it's 1955. Maybe it's like, I don't know why, maybe like Daffy says, no, oh, I finally got even well with that rabbit. And then just a door opens and it's Chuck Jones. Like, hey, Daffy, what are you doing in my, in my seat? Uh, something like that. Yeah. A little more meta. Um, that could have worked. Also, I found the ending a bit too fast. I think the reveal of Elmer was done way more faster than the reveal of Bugs. Yeah. 
which also kind of threw me off a bit. But um, anyways, so I haven't seen this short since we were kids, which was like 10 yeah, same. years ago. So, uh, oh my God. this short wasn't as good as I remembered. I, I, I remember, I, I remember the short being funnier for some reason. Like, uh, again, uh, I did some issues, you know, with some bits that dragged a bit, like the hat gag. You know, I think we're correct saying that, you know, yeah. cut, cut a few of them. And, uh, and perfect thing is there are some good gags here. But I do kind of get why it's the Forgotten sequel because it's not as good as Duck of Muck, which which it which is it's impossible because Duck Duck Muck was such a different sort of thing that to do it again you, you just you can never get the same shock out of it, same surprise out of it. Yeah. So sorry to recapture the lightning in the bottle. Exactly. So. While there are some good gags here, um, it's not one that I go out of my way or honestly demand our DVD set. Like I, I think I, mm. I, I think I kind of get why it was a bonus cartoon, not like oh, it's on this disc of all these. Actually, not, not thinking about it, it does kind of fit in with that sixth volume because that is a, a collection that has some good ones, but um, not that uh many yeah so so my my, my animal rating is a, 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 a 2.5 out of five rather harsh uh, uh i gave it a three three and a half out of five um i still think it's a relatively good cartoon i still think a lot of the gags work it's just a lot of them are lesser versions of gigs from duck and Mark. it's not a complete loss for me there are a couple of good runs a couple of good ideas in this and it's still definitely, you know, it's a Maltese and Jones kind of thing. So it's still definitely a lot of the same energy and mindsets that gave us the other one. So while I'm not a huge fan of this, I still think that like, um, like the last one, there's still some merit here. And it's still a good Golden Age cartoon. So three and a half, you know. I was a lot easier on these than you were, wasn't I? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh... So, got any uh, final words about these three shorts? Um, here's the thing. I don't really have a big overarching question for this week because these are kind of, you know, very similar and also just sort of on not really connected kind of shorts. But um, I do like all three of these that have because they have different ways of looking at sort of making a cartoon kind of yeah. theme that you're going with because. You know, one is the more literal sort of paintbrush and paper kind of thing. The other is being on a set and, you know, going through and filming one. And the third is being in a studio pitching up an idea. So it's all three different Hollywood mindsets and all three deliver different outcomes and different sort of successes or lack thereof in some way. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting the array of cartoons that you curated for this, despite the quality, gave us three different little things to talk about. Oh, week sounds pretty good though next week um as i already uh, foreshadowed earlier there there's one or two that that i uh that i am really excited to talk about so for next week's show we're going to be covering uh three shorts in which a a character or characters have significant bad luck mm -hmm. these shorts are going to be uh, from hair to hair 
a, a sentimental favorite of, of ours. Yeah, I love that one so much. Uh, the the Ducksters, mm. which is a great cartoon for Daffy Duck and Hell Proportion. Yes. <laughs> and a Wiley Coyote cartoon. That we have not picked yet. <laughs> but literally every single one of his is a bad luck cartoon for him. <laughs> All right, so that's going to be next week's show and the end yeah, of this fun. week's show. If you'd like to follow each of us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mark Hallam1995. You can also follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt on there. And if you want to keep up with the podcast and post your thoughts about next week's shorts to be read on the show, you can follow at that underscore loony. Or search for the podcast's title, We Are the First Result. You can also find us wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify Podcasts, your Player FMs. Wherever you find podcasts, we're on there and we're doing our thing. So, uh, And then we're pretty free on most of those. So enjoy that, I guess. (laughs) I don't know what accent that was. It's nothing like my stuffy one from earlier. The the, the, the Alejandro Dumas. That's not even the right one. I'm sorry. I'm so out of steam that my accents aren't even making any sense anymore. I'm so sorry, guys. All right, so we're both tired, so we're just going to pop out of here. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm Jordan. And uh, tune in next week where my accents will be recharged and ready for you. <laughs>